Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello everybody, welcome back, thanks for tuning in and that's about all the good things I have to say today, so I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, we were going to record a podcast, we were going to try, because, I mean, last time we talked, we were pretty dang sure that we were going to play Portland, and I think both me and Trey were happy about that fact. It was a good matchup, good chance to get to the second round, sure he would have faced the Warriors in the second round, but you know what? Third straight second round appearance ain't bad. Then the near impossible happened. And I think I saw one calculation put the odds like there was at one point on what was it like Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever all those games were happening. uh, It was like a one in two million chance that the Jazz would end like the the situation that happened would happen because like the Kings were up by 30 and somebody else was up by 20. I don't know, just all kinds of crap that... You know, <laughs> like the basketball gods conspired against the Jazz, which I don't know why they would do that to the Jazz. They don't deserve it. Uh, I don't know. Now I have to console myself in the 76ers losing and, uh, you know, the Thunder losing. Like that, that, I have to console myself now in other teams losing and not the fact that the Jazz are having a successful playoff series. Um, what are your thoughts, Trey? I've been ranting for two minutes now. How <laughs> uh, go for you? About what happened or what uh, led up to it? Or... I don't know. Just anything in between now and our last podcast, the, the playoff game, the situation, like, I don't know. Oh, well, I mean, Dave Yeager obviously is going to get fired because he pulled his whole freaking starting lineup just to lose a game like i don't understand that one um <laughs> i mean yeah it kind of sucks that we were we were really expecting to play portland all signs were pointing to it and then in the last few seconds we don't play them <laughs> we get houston um but i yeah I, it is what it is unfortunately i mean I guess to segue into what happened last night, there was some, uh, I guess, experimentation, I guess, on defense that just, I don't know. I mean, uh, Milwaukee did it, and it worked, but that was Milwaukee executing a game plan. I, I just don't get it. Like, you had four days to prepare, and it was just a, a discombobulated defensive effort. Yeah, that's uh, that's about how I'd put it in. That was kind of the hot new thing is everyone was talking about this Milwaukee defense. I don't know if that's going to be the name of it. The Milwaukee defense on James Harden, which worked, but I was skeptical about it to begin with because it was a one-game thing, and it relies on James Harden missing a certain type of shot or (laughs) consistently messing up in one area, that being a drive into the middle where he's, you know, faced with, you know, a wall of defense. Which at that point he can shoot a floater, which I don't know why you'd give a 36 point per game score a free floater every time down the court. Or he can kick it out and they can shoot threes pretty well. 
I mean, Houston, they can be on and off from three, but you know when they're on, they're on, and they'll blow you the heck out just the same way the Warriors can. But the, the thing is with Milwaukee, they, they made it work for that one game, and I thought there was some merit to it, obviously, especially since they played really disciplined defense as a team. The Jazz weren't. And, and that's the biggest thing. You can talk about the athleticism of Milwaukee, I mean, no amount of athleticism is going to save you from the fact that you're giving James Harden a free drive to the paint. It has a lot more to do with the discipline and sometimes the length of that defense, which Utah did not have. I mean, Milwaukee's got good defenders one through four that are smart, and Utah has Rudy Gobert. And then, I mean, depending on if Derek Favors is on the floor, but he's kind of just another rim protector, so you're not getting much there outside of standing next to the rim. And then you have guys who are smart defenders like Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles, but they're not really good defenders the same way I think Milwaukee has. So the Jazz either need to get really smart and disciplined with their defense or try something else. Because whatever they did last night, it, it reminded me of the kind of game plan and effort I'd see out of a team that was coached by an armchair analyst, a guy who spent all of his time watching YouTube videos, and that's his NBA knowledge. It just felt kind of amateur, and I feel like Quinn Snyder's definitely better than that. I don't, I don't, I, I'm gonna have to disagree with you there. I think that Quinn Snyder knew full well that you know you got to. They were trying to take away his left the whole time. They were forcing him to go right. But and the the, the kick the kicker is is that if you if you're forcing him to go to the places you want him to go is that you need to cover up what, uh, what the open spaces. And unfortunately, James Harden is just that good that he's going to get to that left hand, either to shoot it or to pass it. So, I mean, it is a little worrying to me hearing Ricky Rubio at the end of the game talking about how that's the game plan for the series. But, I mean, at the end of the day, going back to Milwaukee a little bit, like, you know, they did that by committee. That is what has been our calling card all season long. We don't have the on-ball defenders like they do. We don't. And we have the number two defense in the NBA for a reason, and that's because we've done it collectively. Unfortunately, you know, that changed a little bit because we were trying to get, you know, some kind of advantage. But the, the, the execution was off. The communication was obviously just nowhere. I mean, guys were running around with their, with their heads cut off a lot of the times. Um, and that's just a testament to kind of James Harden and the kind of the scheme that D'Antoni was running. I mean, um, I can't imagine that, you know, they're going to go away from it too much in the second game. Um, but it's just going to be a matter of them kind of executing that because without Exum, how do you stop him one-on-one? -on -one? Like you can't, He's, James Harden is one of the most unguardable players in the NBA. Yeah, I think that's the problem is that they were trying to, to slow him down and stop him and, that's why I criticized the defense that felt like they were shifting from a really good team defense, which, like you pointed out, has been Utah's thing. They have a group of guys who might be average defenders on other teams, and they turn them into plus defenders with the system and thanks to Rudy Gobert. And I feel like they moved away from that. It's kind of like when we had all these conversations, I think, late last year in the playoffs and all that, where Utah is a team offense, and they went into an individualistic offense. It's kind of like that, and they did that with defense. And even more so, and I'm not an expert on defensive technique or anything, but 
when I was watching, you know, Royce O'Neal or Ricky Rubio or whoever was playing Don or um, James Harden, they wouldn't necessarily be forcing him left. They'd be like on his back left hip where, you know, sure he can't like do his step back or like, like basically it was James Harden would have one easy move to like push off. He'd get into the lane and he'd already be able to go back to his left hand. They weren't truly taking away his left. It just kind of looked like they were because their defensive positioning was off and wrong. Like you watch the clips of Milwaukee doing it. There's some instances where, yes, they're still on his back left hip, but there's plenty of them where they're on his left. He can't go left. He has to go right. But all game long, James Harden would have the, you know, the guy stuck, you know, glued to his left hip. He'd make one little move, one slight push off, a couple dribble moves, and then he's in the lane and he has both hands free to do with whatever he wants. So I felt like not only were they trying to change their defensive mindset more than they should have, they did it wrong. You know, they didn't they didn't guard him the way that they're supposed to. You know, if that defensive system they're they're trying to do is yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense. I don't know if I got the point across. But it felt like they were just doing their own game plan wrong and forcing James Harden right. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I, cause I can't remember where it was I read, but they were saying one of the reasons it worked for Milwaukee is that Brooke Lopez just stayed down. Like, Rudy Gobert was caught out of position, and that switch was not there to come and cover up that weakness right then and there. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, we got beat. I mean, Clint Capella is the same type of offensive player that Rudy Gobert is. He's going to rely on that lob. He's going to rely on that rebound putback. Um, and then you have Kenneth Fareed. I, I don't care how powerful or whatever, you know, he's <laughs> you're letting Kenneth Fareed go off. And then this guy that signed a 10-day contract, like, he didn't shoot the ball extremely well, but he got he put points down that mattered. You know, I mean, just and PJ Tucker is not that great of a player in general, but if he's getting these corner threes just open, something that we are so good at preventing, like left and right, that's 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 it's a recipe for disaster. And on top of that, I mean, the defensive effort, like we're gonna sit here and talk crap on it. It, it was not pretty. It wasn't. It didn't look that great. At the end of the day. We did okay. It was really the, the the fault is that the offense there was just no offense. Yeah. In one point I'd like to make about the defense, I do I would do want to talk about the offense, and we'll get to that. You mentioned the the article about Brooke Lopez. I think it was five thirty. I had read that earlier this morning. And the thing is, when I look at that, Brooke Lopez isn't exactly your intimidating rim protector. I think the key difference there is that you know Rudy Gobert is going to come help. But it was like everybody else. Like we were chatting about this just before. It felt like Rudy Gobert was stuck in a two-on-one situation. And the same thing happened last year. It's either mm. stop James Harden or have Clint Capella dunk on you. Or like, you know, you're you're choosing between, you know, James Harden free floater or free layup or whatever. Or a Clint Capella dunk or a Kenneth Free dunk or, you know, pick whoever the big is at the moment. And... Mm. Even early on when the Jazz were having some success at for, forcing some hardened misses, they weren't rebounding, which, no. yeah, you know, that's that's huge. Like, your strategy is let's force James Harden into a bad shot or a 
less effective shot. He'll miss his fair share, but when he misses his fair share, you have to grab the rebound. And, you know, the end rebounding result was, I think, the Jazz um, were out-rebounded like 42-41. But in the first half, it was a lot worse. The Rockets had like six or seven offensive rebounds by halftime. And so they were picking up the misses they had and then putting them back, which is just the absolute worst thing that could have happened. Because there were times when Utah's defense was working. They just couldn't, you know, close the possession down. And so it's there was a lot of, you know, defensive breakdowns. I don't want to blame Rudy Gobert at all for this. I think he had a pretty good game. He obviously didn't play perfect. Um, he didn't actually rebound that well at times in the first half either. But it was a lot of those those rotations. Find those guys who are open and then make them not open. Because otherwise James Harden's going to find them. Or they're going to rebound a miss and put it back for two really easy points, which happened so often in the first half to help build that that lead that Houston had. Yeah, I mean, we even cut it to we even cut it to five in the third quarter, and then it all just it just it fell apart. I think honestly, like I think that it would be beneficial for the Jazz to kind of use um, Houston's formula of switching. Yeah, we're gonna have some mismatches on the court, but at least you would have someone guarding someone at all times. And you know, obviously, switching on James Harden is dangerous because you. You can either he's either going to go force you to go under or over the pick, regardless, because he's just that big of a threat and he's going to get that step back, whatever. But one of our biggest things is that we prevent people from getting inside and we prevent the three point shot. I think we did okay at preventing the three point shot. I mean, they they shot thirty six point six percent on the night, but they got sixty two points in the paint. That's twenty more than we did. That's yeah. not good. Yeah, and that is the biggest thing, because I feel like if you can eliminate a lot of those inside shots that happen, then I think Utah could you know, slow down Houston defensively, because when you look at that, the final game stats, you know, James Harden had 29 points, but he needed 26 shots to get there, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. It wasn't exactly a stupendous offensive game from James Harden. It was, you know, everyone else, and you know, everyone else was scoring in the paint. Uh, like you said, you look guys like Clint Capella, Kenneth Fareed, and you know just go down the list. Now, if you went down the list of all non-James Harden players, it'd make you cringe at every single moment. You know, when you allow Kenneth Fareed to go four or five for eleven points, and Austin Rivers, he only scored like four points, but he was plus twenty-three in nineteen minutes. So it's just like, you know, the Jazz did a decent job on James Harden. It was the everything else. And they just let Houston play a really good offensive game, and they didn't offer a whole lot of resistance. Not one bit. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about uh, resistance. I guess defensively, Houston did really well against the Jazz. Uh, they forced Utah into 39% shooting, 25%, uh, just under 26% shooting from three. And the Jazz did get to the line a lot. They shot 27 free throws, made 23, so they did pretty well in that front. But when you shoot 39% overall and 25% from three, I don't care how good your free throw percentage or how many you take, you're going to be really hard-pressed to win a game, especially if you let the other team shoot 50%. So 
it was just awful all around, especially on the bench. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the the the, the silver lining of this is is it's game one. Yeah, so definitely. It, it is. It is. It was a. It was a game for them to kind of see what they were going to throw out, I guess, and try out their new schemes, more or less. So, I mean, if anything, they're going to learn from this. How they respond? I mean, they're going to compete regardless. That they, they they just have too much pride as a team, as players, to just sit back and you know let this stuff happen. Unfortunately. Houston just have a, had a better scheme, and they took advantage of the weaknesses that we were showing them. They were taking exactly what they were we were giving them and capitalizing it. Um, but man, I tell you what, Mitchell, where was he? You know, I, I, seven of eighteen from the floor. In most cases, we'd be saying, "Okay, that's a good game," but five turnovers and no assists. The last time he did that, he responded very well. So I expect him to have a much better game the next time around. But if your only player is plus one and the stats on the plus minus, I know plus minus is kind of something that we gauge players on. I don't know if it's the best thing to gauge people on, but the only plus player on the team is Favors. Yeah, so I, I think Derek Favors had a good game. He's probably one of the few guys I'd say actually did well. Like him and Rudy Gobert had passable games. I know Rudy Gobert, you mentioned plus minus. He was like minus 23 or something like that. Worst mm-hmm. on the team, I think. But he was also on the floor and was put in a lot of impossible situations. But, you know, you mentioned Donovan Mitchell. 19 points on those 18 shots, and you get no assists, 5 turnovers, like you said. Ricky Rubio had a, a decent game. I was actually texting a friend of mine saying, you know, one of the players I thought needed to have a good series is Ricky Rubio. You mm-hmm. know, as much as we've talked about the shortcomings of Rubio if the Jazz want to win Rubio has to play well offensively because there's not a whole lot of other players who are going to step up in uh offensively on the perimeter yeah and he started out awesome yeah he he did very well and even at the end of the game 15.6 assists and only two turnovers it's passable but again when you're only getting three points from Joe Ingles and then you look at the bench and it's it's awful. Nobody on the bench made more than one shot. And it looks like they took close to 20 or 25. Just doing quick math here. Jay Crowder, 1 of 9. Niang, 1 of 2. Tabo Cephalosha, 1 of 6. Royce O'Neal, 1 of 5. And then Neto and Allen were both 0 for 2. So whatever that adds up to, they made four shots between I don't know, a bunch of players <laughs> off the bench. And I, it's just awful. All right, cause it really I, is. <laughs> I mean, Corver got 10 minutes. He took a shot, was fouled, and made two of his three free throws. Yeah. And that was like in the first or second quarter, I think, if I remember seeing that, I think. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So, and that was one of the things, the Jazz were down, and I saw James Harden go to the bench, and I was like, all right, let's get our bench going. Let's get some points from you know, our bench and kind of cut this lead down. That can be something we can work on. Is when James Harden goes to the bench, we get some production. And then that didn't happen at all. And it got no. worse. So, I don't know. Where do you even start offensively? I mean... I don't know because I just think that like I, I think too many things were, were, were changed around in order to 
try and do something different with Houston. The two games we won against Houston, yes, it came earlier in the year, and Houston was not that great at that time either. But at the end of the day, we were still doing what we were we do best. We we move the ball. We get that what they call the blender moving. We get our handoff and the pick and roll, whatever, so that we free up other people. The ball is moving. There's a dribble penetration. You name it. I, I, I did I, as much as Houston was is known for switching. I didn't see them doing that all that much. Um, so to me, it's like, why are we, why are we trying to fix something that is not broken? Yeah, I don't know. And the thing is, with Houston not switching, they don't have to. You don't have to switch on a Joe Ingles because he can't take advantage of a mismatch. Rubio can sometimes take advantage of a mismatch. Like the only players who I think could consistently take advantage of a mismatch are Donovan Mitchell and Derek Favors. And you, know, you can throw the ball to Derek Favors in the post, he'll back you down, and then he'll put it in. Rudy Gobert can, he's kind of in that rookie Rubio where he'll sometimes take advantage of it, but not always. You can't necessarily rely on him to just throw it into the post, and because he's on, you know, six foot six, whoever, he'll be able to put it in the hoop. You can't rely on him to do that. So, you know, you don't need to switch, and then you don't need to, you know, nobody's going to take advantage of, you know, the player coming around the screen. Now, if you're late coming around the screen, again, the only player who can take advantage of that is Donovan Mitchell. So you're not worried about coming late over a screen. And you're not worried even if you are switching. It becomes really difficult to be efficient offensively if you can't take advantage of defensive miscues. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole system is predicated on getting that advantage no matter what it is. We obviously the defense is a lot better than it was you know during the regular season this since the all-star all-star break they've been exceptionally better um i mean at the end of the day i mean i i don't really know i mean i i it can't be nerves i just think it was just too much was changed and they were too worried about if they were doing the right things to make that happen it obviously affected everyone shooting like Jay Crowder is one for nine. I mean, my goodness, you gotta, you gotta make shots in this league. If you're going to make it, if you're going to win a game, um, one for two from George Niang. I mean, not given he played three minutes, but, uh, Royce O'Neal was, I mean, where was he? Tabo. I mean, it was just like a guessing game. They didn't know what to do. I saw so many different hesitations from so many different players. Like, should I shoot the ball? Should I pass the ball? Should I shoot the ball? Okay. I'll just shoot the ball. Yeah, it seems like there was maybe a little too much thinking on the part of the Jazz. Or in the case of Jay Crowder, not enough thinking. You uh, need to understand, if I'm one for five, maybe let's let's pass the ball if I'm only marginally open. Yeah. So, I think at this point, if, it just feels like we're saying the exact same things from last year's Houston game in terms of offense, where it's just, let's play our game. Because if we think too much... And we either try and get a switch, or we try and do this, and it's not working. We just need to not be a different team, right? Because you know, at the end of the day, this is a bad matchup for Utah. So you're already, you know, you know, it's already going to be hard enough to win the series. Nobody's really expecting it. I don't really expect it. Again, just because it's a bad, mad matchup for us. So really what you have to do, just like any team that's an underdog, you just have to do what you do well and 
and just go after it. Because if you try and change who you are and try and do these fancy things and like, all right, we're going to play them like this, you're going to get your butt handed to you. You know, that's what happens when the 16 seeds go against the 1 seeds yeah, in the NCAA tournament. They try and do something fancy and be that one team that beats the, the 1 seed. I don't know if UMB, UMBC did that. But, you know, when upsets happen in all these sports, they just do what they do well, and they and they they play over their head. That's usually how it ends up working. When the Jazz beat the Rockets twice this season, they were kind of playing over their head on on both ends of the court. And that's basically what's going to have to happen if the Jazz are going to win this series. They can't try and be somebody they're not because then you have to play catch-up. You have to not only beat a team that's better than you, you have to learn a new style of play to do it, which the playoffs is not the right time to be learning a new style of offense and defense. It's what's going to get you swept. Right, yeah. That, that's one thing I'm worried about. I mean, obviously, you know, we can't really gauge it off of just one game for the series. Um, but, I mean, obviously, if this continues even for the next two games, it's bye-bye. And it's that's the thing. Game, game two is going to teach us a lot because we always have these game one overreactions mm-hmm. and we've basically spent 25 minutes having a game one overreaction. I keep having to reel myself in on really all the games in the playoffs. You know, every series, like half the series had an unexpected win, you know, like an upset. Mm-hmm. You can go down the list, the 76ers nets and the Raptors lost. And I think most people weren't expecting the Thunder to lose, even though uh, they're the sixth seed. I think. Yeah, it's the 3-6 matchup, right? But anyway, you have some of these unexpected Game 1 results. Except for, you know, Rockets-Jazz. That was pretty... At least the win for the Rockets was expected. But Game 2 teaches a lot, us a lot more about Game... Uh, game 2 teaches us a lot more about a series than Game 1 does. Because mm-hmm. that's when, alright, what's kind of carried over from Game 1? If there is anything that's come over from Game 1, then we think, all right, then you might have to wait for Game 3 to kind of you know, triangulate a position on what the series is like. Because if the Jazz come out in Game 2 and blow the heck out of the Rockets, we'll think, all right, this is a series. You know, We, we didn't know as much as we knew. If the Rockets win by like 5 or 6 and we see some of the same trends, we'll think, all right, the Jazz played better, but this is still definitely the Rockets series. Mm-hmm. We see another Rockets blowout, then it's like, all right, what we saw in game one is pretty much what we're going to get. There might be an anomaly here or there in the series. It might go to five games instead of four, or maybe even six if the Jazz are lucky. But yeah, if we, if we see a blowout in game two, then that's pretty much the series. You know, outside of maybe the Jazz will still game three or four. So uh, that's why I definitely want to wait for game two to make some definitive conclusions. Yeah, there's, let's just say there's a lot of things the Jazz have to fix between now and, uh, oh, what is it? It's the 17th, whatever day that is, Wednesday. So when they go play on Wednesday, I believe, they'll have had to fix a lot of things. Yeah, I, I yeah, they've got to get back to what they do best because I, I was just thinking about it now. Houston didn't change anything about who they are and what they do. And they got the best of us because we changed almost everything. Um, I mean, 
as as far as getting us out of what we're comfortable doing, our, getting ourselves out of what we're comfortable doing. I mean, where is Joe Ingles that gets under people's skin? That's what I want to know. Why was Joe Ingles taken out of that? I mean, he should thrive in these playoff games. He usually does. Um, Donovan Mitchell, as much as he was pestered, he could do way better. Um, he was hesitant on a lot of things. I mean, it was just, I think it was more or less just the confidence. And they were saying going into this series, oh, we're confident. We know what we're doing. We're just going to stick to what we do. We're going to play our brand of basketball. Where was that? I didn't see that at all. Yeah, I think we see the worst of this Jazz team when they try and be somebody they're not. Uh, there yeah. was some of that early in the season. Um, but whenever they've had these big runs, the second half of the last two seasons, they become this... They become a team, a fun team. They love playing together, and they work hard for each other. And yes, there are some fatal flaws in a Utah Jazz team that, you know, the one at the end of this season, one at the end of last season. It's not one that's going to win a national championship for a variety of reasons. But at this point, it's the best shot we have at getting back to the second round of the playoffs because that same formula took us to the second round of a playoff second round of the Western Conference playoffs in a year when the Jazz weren't even expected to make the playoffs. Right. So, we'll see if that team shows up. I don't know. I'd like to see it at least one more time before the season's over. No. I think game two of the Rocket Series last year kind of made up for the fact that we lost that series in five games. It was really fun to watch. That was probably one of the best jazz performances we've seen, at least in, in that playoffs. And it was one of the funnest games to watch. Mm-hmm. And and uh, game one was not fun to watch. You, know, you can have fun watching a loss. You know, It's not fun afterwards, but you can have fun watching a loss. There's nothing fun about Utah's performance in game one. No, yeah, there there was no heart, there was no confidence, there was no execution, there was, I mean, I can go down the list. <laughs> we yeah. already kind of already have, but... Yeah, well, the, the list is really long. Yeah. So, we stretch it out to almost 30 minutes now of everything that was wrong with this game. And I wish I could point out a lot of positives. That's the one thing that I've not liked, we've been negative, and I want to try and maybe end on a positive, but there's... There's not much. There's almost nothing. The 32-point blowout or whatever it was, if I'm doing mm-hmm. math right here. I mean, what's the positive? Rudy Gobert scored 22 points had, on 10 shots, had 12 rebounds. But again, he was the guy who had the team worse than plus-minus. So it's like there's almost no positives. So you're not sure what you can try and carry over into Game 2. Which, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> maybe that's a good thing. Quinn Snyder looks at the tape and he's like, yeah, we sucked at everything. Let's go back to what we were doing before. Oh, yeah. Well, and I did, I, I can't remember what he said in his post-game interview. But, I mean, he's always going to be tactical. And, he's, you know, he's not going to elude. I mean, he's going to tell you straight up some things that he saw that they could do better. And he's always going to say that his team competed. But yeah, I mean, I guarantee you he was he was tearing into him either today and even into tomorrow because, yeah, there's a lot of things that they, I mean, like I said, this is game one, so you, you learn from this, you take it, and you run with it, and then you apply the things that you did wrong and fix them for game two. So let's try and 
wrap this up. Let's talk about things that the Jazz need to do. So there's there how many games are they gonna play before next time we meet? They'll play on Wednesday and then Saturday. And Saturday. So they'll play they'll we'll be rocking a little before game four on our next podcast if we stick to the schedule. So the Jazz wanna win game win uh game two or game three. What's the thing you feel like they have to do with an individual performance? And I can start, give you some time to think, because um, I, I was thinking about this for a second or two. And I think the key is going to be offensively. I know we spend a lot of time talking about defense, but I think offensively, you've got to get a lot out of Joe Ingles. That's the number one. Joe Ingles can't score three points. He has to score like 15. Maybe have a 20-point game. You know, it's you know twenty points is quite a bit above his average, but that's you got to be above average in the playoffs. And so I think right there in your starting lineup, we can talk about the bench and all these different things, but in your starting lineup, you've got to get more out of Joe Ingles, both in the pick and roll, and both him shooting. He can't be uninvolved. We saw this last year in Game One against the Thunder. Joe Ingles was completely uninvolved, and the Jazz lost that game. I don't even I don't remember the score, but it was not the most pretty loss. And then Joe Ingles comes back, has several good games, and the Jazz win that series pretty handily. So I think it's it's really going to have to start there. Joe Ingles really has to be better if the Jazz are going to have a chance to take either game two or game three. Yeah, I would say I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, Ingles has to be better. Ingles has to be better. Um, Mitchell needs to be better. He needs to stay aggressive. He needs to let that game come to him be instinctual um and the bench collectively my gosh do they need to play better i mean <laughs> there was one assist no two assists in the whole bench unit and about four fouls three turnovers good great guys doing great uh no the bench needs to be better and the offense i mean just believe in the system i mean there was that game against the Clippers. We lost that game in overtime, but this we were seeing the system work. We were seeing how they just had all bought into the system. It didn't matter who was on the court. Everyone was put, doing their their due diligence, if you will, for lack of a better term, to you know execute. It just comes down to execution. The bench needs to be better. And I mean, go down the list. I, I don't want to say just say. I mean, we know what they need to do, yeah. and they know it too. Yeah, it really does come down to execution because whether or not they're playing that kind of their old game plan like we've been talking about, you know, beaten to death, or this new, you know, the Milwaukee defense and maybe kind of a playoff-shifted offense, if they just execute what they're doing, they'd be a lot better. Because they would have executed this Milwaukee defense, they probably would have done really well. Might have held Houston to like 100, uh, you know, between 95 and 110 points, which would have been a lot closer game and then execute a little better on offense, and you come really close. So I guess that's the end-all be-all. Just execute. Just play better. Play better, execute, yeah. be better in every phase of the game. Classic Bill Belichick right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us. Uh, there's not a whole lot else to talk about. I mean, I've talked about what the Jazz did wrong. There's a few things. Basically... For games two and three, just don't do what you did in game one, which is completely suck. 
So hopefully the Jazz don't do that. Uh, even if they don't win the series, I'd like to see this go to six or seven games. I'd rather not see a sweep or even a gentleman sweep. I want to see this go to six or seven games. Best case scenario, obviously, the Jazz winning it, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>